I don't know about you, but we're always looking for ways to get our kids involved and give back in our local community. That's why we're excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. I would love for Violet to do this program when she's in high school. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, it's also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Sarah, what's the first thing you would do if there was a vaccine? Um, probably take Violet to Katsuya at the Americana. <laughs> what about you? I think I would do Manny Petty. Oh, that's a good one. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Kraft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we're going to talk about how, in our work at least, we're choosing to believe in a positive future. Then in our new Amplify segment, I'm going to amplify an episode of Bachelor Happy Hour. That's right, I said Bachelor Happy Hour, but I think you will understand why. And in our Call Your Manager segment, we're going to ask our manager, Diane Fraser, about how she helps guide clients to the right projects for them. And our Hollywood hack will help keep you strong. But first, we have an update. Sarah, in our last episode, we talked about how hard it is to make space for creativity. So hard. Given everything going on in the world. Um, But we wanted to report back to everyone that we did it for one whole day. We were creative. We were creative and in like the positive fun way. We were super productive. We were like on task with our creativity and it felt so good. So good. Like it just, it was freeing. Yeah. We need to have more days like that. And it was interesting because we didn't like totally turn away from the news, but we could kind of integrated into the work that we were doing without yes. being w- while staying in the creative space. Yes. It was truly the most productive day we've had in ages. Yes. So it is possible to make space for creativity, which is honestly it's such a relief to know that just it can be done. Yes. We need to have many more creative days. <laughs> yes. Okay, Sarah, it's time for From the Treadmill Desk of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's believing in a positive future. Yeah, right now we're developing a show that's set like directly post-pandemic. 
And in the world of the show, people are going back to work and they're not wearing masks and they're not obsessively worried about social distancing. It assumes that kind of the death rate doesn't keep rising exponentially. It assumes a vaccine. People are happy. Yes, we had a lot of discussion about how we were going to deal in the world of the show with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we just decided, you know what? There's going to be a vaccine. And (laughs) once there's a vaccine... Like, life is going to be different, and we want to live in this happy place. Yeah, and the tone of the show, this specific show, really requires an optimistic tone. It requires positivity. Without that, it's just sort of a waste. So we're like, okay, we have to do it. Let's embrace it. Mm -hmm. And it's been so delightful. I mean, talking about a future that has all of these positive things in it— It's just like it's uh, like a release in a way. Yeah, that's probably, you know, back to our update. Part of why we were able to have a creative space is because it was space we wanted to be living in. It felt good to talk about it. It sort of felt like we were there in the future. Mm -hmm. And it made us realize that it would be useful for us and um, likely for many of our listeners, which is why we're bringing it up. To actually, in real life, believe in a positive future. Yes. If we can believe in it fictionally, maybe we can take that leap and believe in it in real life. I think it's 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 like it's one thing to sort of create it and imagine it fictionally. And then it just seems harder to, in real life, envision the future at all right now. Yeah. It, everything feels so unknown and in flux, and it's harder for me, at least, to kind of believe in all of these positive things. But if we can do it in our work, what if we can do it in life? I think it would help us so much. I I think it would really help us professionally and personally. And I also think, like, worst case scenario, we're wrong. It's not like (laughs) we've lost anything in our personal lives if we believe in a positive future and it doesn't come, you know. It only helps us to sort of be more mentally stable, I guess. I'll yes, say. and uh, yes, and have have the mental endurance to kind of move through this time. Yeah, uh, in a more graceful way. And we want to be clear: we're not we're just talking about the pandemic now. We're not talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. Sadly, there is no vaccine for racism. There will not be. That's just something we all have to do the work on in confronting both systemic racism and individual racism wherever we see it, which is part of our positive fictional future and has to be part of our daily lives as well. Yes. But the experience of creating this positive future um, is interesting because talking about it and envisioning it in specific ways, I don't know, there's just something about that process that helps. Yeah, and it's the specific ways thing, I think, is the key. Yeah. Because we're literally talking about what it looks like to go back into an office space and Mm -hmm. what communal food areas look like and having that specificity helps make it more real. And it reminded me of, you know, uh, we all did dream boards at some point. I think Mm -hmm. they're still quite popular where you like rip pieces of paper from magazines of like what you want your life to be like and make a big board and look at it every day. It's essentially the equivalent of a dream board. And there's a reason that people have been doing those for I'm going to say decades now. I remember Mm -hmm. doing them in my (laughs) 20s. Um, 
if you can envision it, you can believe in it, and then your anxiety level decreases. And like you said, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen that way, but it certainly makes the present better. Yes. So we recommend everyone try this exercise of imagining the future where there is a vaccine. And um, dare I say, life is normal, at least in terms of the pandemic. Yeah, at least in the good ways that we want. Yes. (laughs) And next up, Liz is going to amplify Bachelor Happy Hour. But first, this break. Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Okay, Liz, it's time for our new Amplify segment. This segment is all about amplifying the voices and work of women and people of color. And this week, you want to amplify an episode of Bachelor Happy Hour. Yes, the Bachelor Happy Hour podcast. Okay, as I have mentioned many times, I am a huge fan of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and there are many podcasts hosted by various members of Bachelor Nation. Uh, One of these podcasts, Bachelor Happy Hour, is the official Bachelor podcast, and it is hosted by former Bachelorettes Rachel Lindsay and Becca Kufrin. Okay, Rachel Lindsay, Sarah, was the first Black Bachelorette And she has been the only Black lead of the entire franchise. Which is totally insane. Yeah, that's 40 seasons of The Bachelor and Bachelorette. She has been the only Black lead. And she has spoken out a lot about that in the past. But now she's really sort of using her platform and talking about, you know, systemic racism. And it's Mm -hmm. in our industry. We all know that, just like it's in every industry. Yeah, And in an episode of Bachelor Happy Hour called Race Diversity and Bachelor Nation, Rachel and Becca have a long, very frank discussion about racism related to the show, but also about racism in general. And I'm amplifying it because it's great to hear race discussed in such a pop culture context. Yeah, usually when we talk about race, we're not talking about it in the context of pop culture and reality TV. Yeah. But of course, that's what everyone is is um, consuming. Yes. And that's why I love that they had the discussion on this podcast. And listen, it is an awkward conversation. It is uncomfortable, but it's very real. Becca, who's white, um, she starts off the whole conversation by saying that she was laying awake the night before with a stomach ache at the thought of having, you know, having this conversation because she felt uncomfortable. But She knew it was important, and Rachel Lindsay had um, also a lot to say and a very specific point of view. 
And I found it to be a very useful conversation between two women um, who are good friends, but, you know, who have a lot, you know, one of whom has a lot to learn, Becca, right. and one of whom Rachel has a lot of frustration that, you know, needs to be expressed. I want to mention that Rachel had said publicly that if The Bachelor did not change sort of their their practices, both not just having a black lead on the show, male, which they do, they did announce, but also with producers, casting directors, like the whole organization that she would disassociate from Bachelor Nation, which is a big deal because she is a big, very prominent part of Bachelor Nation and very popular. And so I'm glad to see that, you know, Bachelor Nation, the Bachelor franchise, I think is working to improve their practices. They have come out publicly about that. And I'm glad that the conversation is happening. Yeah. So take a listen, especially if you are a fan of The Bachelor. Bachelor Happy Hour. Check it out. And even if you're not, I'm not a huge fan of The Bachelor, but I, I'll be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, it's time for our segment, Call Your Manager. We used to have Call Your Agent, but we don't have an agent anymore. For anyone who's just tuning in, we recently announced that we signed with a fantastic manager, Diane Fraser. As a reminder, Diane is a partner in management production company, Industry Entertainment Partners, where she primarily represents writers in both film and television. Prior to joining industry, she was vice president of series packaging and TV literary at ICM. In addition to her work in the worlds of film and television, Diane has produced multiple stage musicals and is active as a concert producer. Diane, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me back. Today, we want to ask you all about how you help your clients decide which projects to pursue. We've noticed you seem to have like a superpower when it comes to guiding clients to the projects that are right for them. And we, we really want to know how that came about. Well, thank you. But I, I wouldn't say it's a superpower. It's more like an obsession <laughs> uh, from years of getting to know creative people and understanding that different types of work inspire different people, it really comes down to a client's writing samples and body of work being effective in demonstrating they'd be able to execute a particular project. So like if someone's interested in writing epic fantasy, but their background in writing has all been all comedy, mm -hmm. they're probably not going to get that epic fantasy project. They'd need to write a writing sample to demonstrate that they could deliver something great in that genre. But I'd say in addition to matching the writer with the project, it's also about matching the writer up with the people who are involved. Ah, yes, that's important. So does that factor in when a project comes in, how you decide which client or clients to approach with it? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, each person is different, and so I approach each career individually. Um, and choosing projects for clients, it's, it's mostly about the sensibility of the writer and what they are looking to do. So if, if it's something I know a certain writer will love, I'll be very aggressive in trying to get it for them. And it also depends on what level of writer the producer or studio needs. If it's like a closer on a feature, the job is probably not going to go to an emerging writer with limited experience. Another thing that's a factor is how competitive the situation is. I think, as you've learned, some writers will go, some producers will go out to multiple writers, get many writers 
takes or approaches to the project and then decides who to move forward with to sell it. So some writers are okay being in a bake-off type situation. If there are many people in the running, I may tell a client not to pursue it unless the producer is willing to go after them exclusively. Mm. Yeah, because sometimes you can probably tell based on who might be in the mix, like the chances of the writer getting this project is low, so it's not worth putting in the hours and hours of work required. Yeah, it's a lot of work on a speculative basis for something Then, if you don't end up moving forward, you're not going to use, probably. Yeah. Right. Now, we sort of see you as part work therapist. We even have a weekly check-in call with you that's like on the books every week, and we kind of see it as our like regular Diane therapy appointment. Do you <laughs> see yourself that way at all? Like, how does that come about? What, Where does that, is that just you or is that part of a manager thing? Well, I definitely see myself that way. And yeah, it's probably sort of a manager thing, but I think I've always been that way mm. because it's a business of highs and lows and rejection can be debilitating. So I like to be there for clients to talk things through, the good and the bad, and let the rejection be on me, and then we'll share in the glories together. So it's sort of uh, working through all of those, you know, ebbs and flows. Yeah, I've noticed um, even in as much time as we've spent working together, you're really good at not dwelling in what didn't happen or where we're not. You're very good at keeping the train moving forward. Yeah. Which is good because we can dwell. <laughs> yeah. it's And it's not so productive <laughs> to do that. Yeah. So I do like to keep moving. Yeah. And we should also say it's just kind of interesting that one of, like, literally the first project you gave us, I'm thinking about this because there was a time when it was like, are we going to get it or not? We were just like waiting and waiting and waiting and we were getting into that glum phase. And then it looks like it's working out, but it's like the absolute perfect project. And it was the first thing you sent us, which is, I mean, well done. Yes. <laughs> oh. That is amazing. Well, thank you. Hope hope the deal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. We'll hope the deal, deal. makes. <laughs> Um, all right, and Diane, we also want to ask you if you think a client is making a mistake in doing or not doing a certain job, will you tell them or do you not sort of feel that's your uh, role? No, I will absolutely tell them. I like to say it's as important what you do as what you don't do mm -hmm. and that money is the last reason for taking a job. Mm. Um, because people responsible for hiring out there, a lot of them are credit snobs and one or two prestige credits can lead to open doors for many years to come where a nondescript resume can make it much more challenging. So unless you can't pay your mortgage or your kid's tuition, taking a job should not be about the money. I like to say being selective breeds longevity, which leads to greater success. And the other thing is if a client would be working with people with less than a stellar reputation, I will probably steer them away unless the potential upside far outweighs the downside. Yeah, a lot of times we'll tell a brand new writer, we'll say, this will be hell for you, but it's worth it because it's that first job. Right. But if you have any choice at all, it really is true that you can just kill your soul to such a degree that it hurts your career long term if you're working with somebody who's just awful. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, it's it's all about, you know, our health and well-being and 
being in a situation where you're excited to go to work every day. Yeah. Or stay home and work every day. Yeah. Or stay home right and work now, yeah. and be yeah. on a Zoom call. Every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, well, Diane, thank you so much. It's always wonderful to talk to you. Yes. My pleasure. We will be calling our manager again, I'm sure, in the near future to, um, to get your wisdom for our yes. listeners and for us. All right. Thank you. Thanks, talk Diane. Talk to you soon. Coming up, we've got a healthy Hollywood hack. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's Fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Sarah, it is time for this week's Hollywood Hack virtual training. Yes. So we've both been doing strength training at the Strength Code in Toluca Lake for years. But of course, gyms have been closed and we have been doing virtual workouts with our trainers. And I was a little like, "Eh, I don't know, is this going to be good at first? I definitely nagged you. Yes, you did. And I started much, many weeks after you. Um, but I'm so glad. It's it's so great. Yeah, look, we'd rather be there in person, but doing a virtual workout is so much better than if, I, like, we were trying to work out on our own. Oh, my which God. I just wouldn't do it. I would not lift one weight or do one push-up uh, if I did not have a trainer, you know, telling me to do it. No, we're both obligers. We need accountability. Yes. And <laughs> it's true that we're, we don't have the machines, obviously, because we do this sort of, um, you know, heavyweight, slow training on machines. This is different from that. But I am completely exhausted after every virtual workout. Like, I feel like I'm going to throw up every time, which to me is a mark <laughs> of success. So yay. <laughs> Yeah. And for me, it's just important to hold that space. Like if I sort of completely let it go during this time, it would be a lot harder to fit it back in at the end of this that we positively and optimistically see. Yes. You know, like so now every week I still have that that time slot. It's still part of my routine. And not losing that is is really important. The other thing that's great about it is, you know, there are times, um, certainly in the entertainment industry, and I'm sure for others too, where we're gone for weeks at a time. You know, mm-hmm. we may have to go on set, like we may have to go to New York for six weeks or whatever. This way, in the future, now that we've established that we can do these virtual training sessions, we could do them when we're away. Totally. And what's interesting is the the strength code 
as other gyms are, is kind of starting to open up. And there are a lot of gyms I wouldn't even consider going to, the vast majority of them. But the strength code, I actually would because they're small and they don't do a lot of people at once. It's a very specific kind of training. It's a short period of time. I feel like they can have a controlled, safer environment in a much better way than a lot of gyms can. But it's such a good thing, as you're saying, to have that flexibility. We can do it virtually if we need to, and we can go in if we want to. Yes. So So, happiness hack, virtual training, if you can do it. It will kick your ass. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you to our wonderful manager, Diane Fraser, for joining us today. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, king of remote recording. And thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Do the Thing with Whole30's Melissa Urban, which has a new season. And Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at S. Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. I am like barely coherent today. Why? Cheesy Feet had like a crazy thing at 3 a.m. and I was up for hours. He got caught up in my enormous knitting project, you know, with oh that like huge, huge yarn that I have. He, I think he was sleeping on it. And at okay. 3 a.m. he got tangled in it and then he like fell off the couch and he completely panicked and freaked out. It took me a while to figure out what was happening, and I literally thought he had a stroke. Oh, my God. And I was, like, getting dressed and, like, trying to figure out where the emergency vet was, and he was, like, drooling insanely. And then I realized it was just, like, my giant knitting. He got caught up in my giant knitting. It's a joy of a dog. Poor Cheesy. From the Onward Project.